my heart in my kitane hotaka. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. While the government is to halt work on the TVNZ RNZ merger, also the social insurance scheme and hate speech laws scrapped or delayed. And on the three waters reforms, the government says it'll consider changes to its program. So we discuss some of those just after four. Also today. Three tons of cocaine busted. $500 million worth. That's a lot of coke, isn't it? Where's it from? Who's it for? Also, researchers are strongly recommending $5 prescription fees to be removed or scrapped entirely, saying that it's a huge barrier. And something completely different here. A listener got in touch. First week back, I noticed that mums and dads on drop-offs are not using the crossing. They're ducking and they're weaving holding up all the traffic. I live not far from a school. Has anyone else noticed this? Uh, there'll surely be uh, people who do notice. Text me, 2101. With me this afternoon, Cass Carter, communication specialist and writer. Kia ora, Cass. Kia ora, Wallace. And Simon Pound, brand strategist, previously unavailable and host of a podcast is called Business is Boring. Simon, welcome. Kia ora. Now, uh, first up uh, on the show, the two earthquakes in southern Turkey and neighbouring Syria continue to extract a terrible death toll. Nearly 8,000 people have been killed, but there are warnings that toll con- could continue to surge. The first 7.8 magnitude quake struck near Gaziantep in the early hours of Monday, followed later by a second one as powerful, toppled thousands of buildings, including hospitals, schools, apartments. This impact, it'll be felt for years, and many are asking, well, why were these earthquakes just so devastating? With us is Dr. Mark Quigley. He is an Associate Professor of Earth Science at the University of Melbourne, and formerly from Canterbury University, who wrote a lot about the Christchurch quakes. Dr. Quigley, welcome. Kia ora, everyone. Great to have you on. First, this is not the first large-scale earthquake Turkey's had. Um, it's quite a seismic region, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's one of the most seismically hazardous places on the planet. Uh, there are three uh, tectonic plate boundaries that go through Turkey, and Turkey sits largely on the Anatolian tectonic plate, and so it's fringed with this collision with the uh, Arab- Arabian tectonic plate and the Eurasian plate. So. Earthquakes are commonplace, and really damaging fatal earthquakes are commonplace as well. So what is it about this earthquake or series of that has made it just so devastating? Yeah, I mean, it's quite a noteworthy um, event, and and people are seeing these horrific images, and we, a lot of us expect that fatalities will will exceed 10,000. Um, I think the first thing is that these are big faults that ruptured and they released a lot of seismic energy. So the the first earthquake, the 7.8, we're talking about something that's several hundred kilometers long, rupturing the ground surface three to four meters in one go, um, generating 20 to 30 percent of gravity of ground ground acceleration. So that's really strong shaking. When you think about um, we start to get damage in urban environments around 10 percent, so sort of double that threshold. Uh. Um, and then followed by that, nine hours later, you get another magnitude 7.5, probably on an intersecting fault um, that would further compromise buildings that were previously damaged in the 7.8. Um, and actually in the in the local area of that 7.5, you would have had very strong accelerations, probably 
50% of gravity, um, similar to those experienced in Christchurch and in the Christchurch earthquake. And so when you couple that with vulnerable infrastructure and a lot of the exposure of vulnerable people, um, you get the kind of disaster that's unfolding here. Indeed, indeed. All right, let's bring in panellist Cass. Uh, an extraordinary event unfolding right now. They're still grappling with this shocking tragedy. Uh, let's bring you in. Um, yeah, I just, I can't hardly bear to look at the pictures. I mean, I'm claustrophobic and it was my worst fear is being buried alive. And I just wonder, you know, um, these, a lot of these were refugees and they weren't there by choice anyway. So how much hell on earth do some people have to go through? And also once they're saved, what what are they saved to? I mean, where do they live? What will their health be like? Um, what is their future? But I suppose my question is, um, this was an extreme even for earthquakes, and I understand there are fewer than 20 earthquakes over this around this sort of magnitude in any year. Um, and New Zealand has really amped up its building standards around earthquakes, and I'm not sure if you can answer this, but I, how far do you go? Are these acts of God that we really can't do anything about, or, or can we have better structures yeah. for, Mark? to keep ourselves safe? Yeah, so, so first off, to answer the, the easiest question first, these are absolutely not acts of God. We absolutely can do so many things. But the problems are deep and they are wicked problems. And the problems in New Zealand are distinct from the problems in Turkey and so on. But just, just to move from, I guess, the severity of these events, and yes, they are severe events. They are, generate very, very strong shaking. But the, the issue here is that they're superimposed upon um, a country that we know um, has issues with building standards, uh, has issues with um, building codes, enforcing building codes. There is some corruption in the building industry. This has been recognized by the leaders of the country and many others. Um, and so when you have this confluence of the hazard, which is the earthquakes, which generate a strong earthquake, with the vulnerability of the elements in the, in the, in the built environment, that's when you get really big challenges. And so the work done in New Zealand, let's, let's, let's think about, um, first off, there's a distinction between the magnitude of these earthquakes and the type of damage that they might create. So recall that that earthquake in Christchurch was relatively moderate from a magnitude point of view, a 6.2. But it was right beneath the urban center. And when you superimpose that upon buildings, some of which were possibly compromised a little bit from, from, from the large, the main shock and other events and so on, that, that's why you get the sort of damage you get. It's, it's the ground accelerations that matter, no. not the magnitude of the event. And uh, it's the exposure uh, of people and infrastructure to that strong shaking that is the governing factor when you think about the loss of life and so on. So a magnitude 8 earthquake in the middle of nowhere, um, highly remote, might kill no one. And a magnitude 5 right beneath a place with highly vulnerable infrastructure can kill thousands of people. So the building, I'll just, I'll, I'll wrap up in a sec, but just to get back to that. So in countries where they have strict building codes and the building codes are well enforced and they have methods for trying to deal with this building legacy issue, which is older buildings built long before building codes or, you know, built during the times of building codes, but then there's been more revision since. Um, dealing with those kind of issues in countries like Turkey is quite challenging New Zealand's making a major effort to deal with those kind of issues, particularly in places like Wellington, because they want to avoid the kinds of things that unfold in countries where you have vulnerable building stock and seismic hazard waiting to happen. 
Really lovely to have you thank on, you. Dr. Quigley. Yeah, thank you for that. And I hope to uh, get you on again on this uh, topic. But for now, Dr. Mark Quigley there, Associate Professor of Earth Science at the University of Melbourne and formerly at, uh, from rather, the University of Canterbury, who wrote a lot uh, about the Christchurch earthquakes of the time. In fact, I think he got a um, Prime Minister's Science Prize for his work uh, on earth science and earthquakes. All right, it is five to four. We're going to be talking about this um, merger after four o'clock and also other uh, announcement. Uh, for example, uh, the uh, income insurance screen to be scrapped and the hate speech legislation to be at least delayed. But time for I've been thinking, Cass Carter, take it away. Okay, so I've been thinking um, about electric vehicles. I've had an electric vehicle for about three years now, and I cannot speak highly enough of it. Um, However, recently, and for the first time, I've been suffering from range anxiety that people talk about, and that's because of the inability to charge my car. Now, if you're going home and and you know out and back in one night you just plug in overnight um but if you deviate and need to top up that's when it's getting more and more frustrating to get an available charging station and there are many reasons for that there are not enough charging stations to meet the growing demand of evs around the place in wellington cb there's actually only two charging stations um it's incredibly inconsiderate people who you are kidding me yep two two there cannot there must be more than two yep that's all there is. There's only two charging stations for the, the fast charge stations. Yeah, that's it. Wow. Otherwise, you've got to go out into the suburbs. It's crazy. Um, and then you've got incredibly inconsiderate people who plug in their car and wander off to a cafe and supermarket for heaven knows how long. Um, and then people who fully charge their car at a public station when they don't need to, they just need to top up. And then there's um, actually uh, petrol car owners who park in the EV charging oh. stations. And then even though you could charge, you can't park your car there. So all of these things are making me absolutely apoplectic with rage. And I stood the other day staring at one of those Mevo sharing cars that someone had just plugged in and walked away. And I actually had to drag myself out, out of the murderous and vandalist sort of rage, actually. But um, last year, there were 340 public charges across the whole of the country. And that's just nowhere near enough when we're being encouraged to buy electric vehicles and use yeah. them. Uh, we'll um, come back to this tomorrow because I yeah. see that um, sales of EVs have exploded. In fact, it was in The Guardian about yes. New Zealand EV sales. So um, that's amazing. If someone says only two fast charge stations in the whole of Wired Up, something's got to be done on this, doesn't it? Okay, thank you, Cass. Yeah. I've been thinking Simon Pound. Well, today, like many parents, uh, our kids were back at school for the first time since kind of early December. And um, What's with the long holidays? It is like a lot of parents that we've been talking to have been really struggling as, you know, eight to nine weeks, which is what we've had. Um, it just seems to be something where I don't really have a solution for it right, but the whole system is still based around the idea of having one parent at home uh, and one parent working. But with the cost of mortgages and rent and how many people have to have two people working, if you took just for this last nine weeks two working parents' entire allocation of annual leave, it wouldn't, and put them end on end, you wouldn't get just this one lot. And then there's still, you know, at least three more two-week two, two week, um, things coming. So, yeah, I don't have a solution, but I'm just wondering, like, 
how do people manage? Is anyone working on this? Is anyone looking at it and going? I want listeners to email in and text in about Simon Pound experience. There are so many parents I talk to who relate. Annual leave cannot cover the time needed to look after your children. What's with this? And and it's not that you know. How do you do it? How do you do it? It's not that schools have to be babysitters, and you know. But there's maybe ways that you can, I don't know, change the system up so there's some allowance made for that or easier things. Does anybody have any ideas on this? Yeah, how's it meant to work? Cut the amount of holidays there are. You just don't need so many holidays. The Christmas holiday is torturous, even for the kids who want to go back to school and see their friends. And it's so expensive as a parent to get childcare or put them in some sort of so holiday I'm, program. We'll it's, come back to that no. too. Cass Kira, all right. Cass Carter, Simon Pound with us on Wednesday's panel. Good to have you with us. <laughs>